Hey, what's up, everyone? Adam Welcome here, and this is the School District Podcast, where I interview people from an array of backgrounds across the country, principals, assistant principals, superintendents, directors. We have a school resource officer on the show very soon, which I think you're going to enjoy that conversation. Just really trying to talk and think about a school district and all that goes into it and the different functionalities and leadership and what makes it work and just trying to improve everyone out there for everyone that listens. Today on the show, I'm super excited. The guest, Eric Scheniger, is a longtime friend of mine, a even longer kind of associate or somebody that I have looked up to and looked up to from afar. And over the years, we have developed a relationship. We've had dinner together. We've hung out together. We've collaborated. We talk. And uh, I'm just super excited to have Eric on the podcast. If you don't know Eric, just go to Twitter, Eric Scheniger. He is a international speaker, professional developer, coach for leaders and teachers. And honestly, Eric is just just an amazing guy. Uh, I can say that from firsthand experience, just a stand-up guy that cares about kids and teachers and principals and everyone that works in a school district. I hope that you enjoy this podcast. Without further ado, Eric Scheniger. Eric Scheniger, welcome to the podcast, man. Great to be here, Adam. So we met, we've hung out. Uh, we first connected, obviously, through Twitter, because how else does anybody else meet? And I remember we had dinner in Washington, D.C. I don't know how many years ago. I was there for the 20 to watch, and you were you were speaking at some conference, and we had dinner. That was the first time uh, that we connected, and it's been uh, it's been awesome just getting to know you, man, and uh, hanging out. And I know I was actually wanted you to come and watch me speak in person um, just so you could coach me and I can learn from you. And then COVID hit um, and then nobody was going anywhere. And I didn't think a Zoom, a Zoom session was worth it, but we got to do that at some point. Um, but hey, man, for like the three people out there that don't know who you are, Eric, tell us about yourself. Well, I'm going to comment on the, the first time we met Adam because uh, it was 11 years ago. Was it that uh, long? So, yeah, you know, Dang. so that's kind of like how old we are and how old wow. we've been in this space. So wow. it, it's interesting, you know. It's like it felt like five mind. years ago. It feels like five years ago. I, I, you know, <laughs> like in the back of our minds, I think like, yeah, we, we got on social media not too long ago. But for many of us, that was like 12 years ago. Yeah. Uh, and that kind of really leads into, you know, who I am, you know, former science teacher and principal from New Jersey. And, uh, you know, social media kind of helped take the blinders off for me in terms of my ability to take my staff where they needed to be. And after my awakening, my aha moment, whatever you want to call it, you know, we really began to transform teaching, learning and leadership. And uh, we did a lot of amazing things that were innovative, but we did it while improving achievement. Uh, and, and I think that's kind of what really catapulted me to where I am today. Uh, success is not one person, it's the collective. And if it wasn't for 
the amazing work of my teachers uh, in New Milford, New Jersey, I wouldn't be where I am today. And, and uh, for the last seven years, I now have been working for the International Center for Leadership and Education, where I take those lessons, but also a myriad of other lessons from school systems all over the world to really help not just change, but sustain change in ways that benefits kids, educators, the community, et cetera, et cetera. And I dabble in social media a little bit. Yeah, yeah. and you blog. You're super consistent on the blog. I feel like every Sunday you push out, is that your, is that your day? Every Sunday you push yeah. out a blog post? You know, and it's interesting when we think about just like change and, you know, people develop their own perceptions of you, of me. And, you know, regardless of what people think, I'm not a speaker, I'm not a writer. Uh, I struggle with both because that's not what I was trained to do. And I try to reflect, I try to learn. But with the writing piece, you know, I've kind of set myself on a schedule where I'm always writing two weeks ahead. Uh, And for me, consistency is what will keep me at it. And there are times where I struggle immensely for the ideas on what to write about. Thankfully, uh, most of my days are spent in classrooms and schools, coaching teachers and leaders. So when I'm down in the dumps thinking, oh boy, I got nothing to write about, then uh, an idea comes to me based upon something I saw or what a teacher administrator did. So, but that's kind of how I try to keep to my schedule. And uh, then it helps me in terms of what I'm going to speak about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, having that cadence is really important. I blogged, I blogged probably two or three days a week for like 10 years until my first book came out that I co-wrote with Todd Nessaloni, Kids Deserve It. And I blogged and blogged and then I took a break and I, I'm with you. You got to keep at it. And then I've kind of moved all that to the podcasting uh, platform, which I really like. It's a different, you know, you get to have a conversation. It's, there's some post work to it, but you don't have to write it and edit and think about, I mean, you have to do some of those, but it's just a little bit different format. So some, one question that people ask me all the time is like, how did you get into speaking? And uh, I know like, I've talked to a lot of other people that do what we do, Tom Murray, Wes Kishnick, and they're always like, it kind of happened by accident. Like you were just doing things and it happened. So what is, what's kind of your backstory, Eric? How did you, how did you get to where you are now? And I know it's a journey and it's been a long journey for all of us, but what's the kind of origin story? Yeah, it's interesting. Origin story. <laughs> I feel like uh, a Marvel character right now getting ready to team up with the Avengers. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, when I think about, you know, I was that traditional principal, you know, I kind of, that's the way we've always done it. And, you know, when I started drinking the Kool-Aid, thanks to uh, Twitter and other social media tools, that's when I, I really began to challenge my own mindset, but also really take a critical lens to my practice. And some things that I did at an individual level was get in classrooms more, you know, guide my staff through how we change the way we grade, but also usher in uh, many innovative initiatives. You know, our school was the first in New Jersey to go bring your own device 12 years ago, bring your uh, personalized learning, blended learning, like academies, flipped approach. We were doing that all 11 years ago. And that kind of gave me the and maker spaces, you know, thanks. Thank goodness I hired Laura Fleming, amazing uh, teacher, librarian, author. She made me look really good. And I think that's another aspect of leadership, you know, surrounding, <laughs> surrounding yourself with people that are smarter than you and get out of their way. And what I then did, because I was spending so much time in classrooms, <laughs> improving feedback loops, I then began to take lots of pictures, videos, 
And then people started asking me because they saw us all over the news. And that's kind of how it happened for me. I never went, I never wanted to be a speaker. That was never my goal. And, but as I started, kept sharing on social media, people are like, oh my goodness, what you all are doing is awesome. And I'm like, really, is it? Because we never really believe our work is that good. I think we're our own biggest critics. And from there, you know, you know, we had piece after piece in the New York City news. I then got asked to do a lot of local events in New Jersey. Then I started doing uh, a lot of state level events. And then before I know it, I was being asked by national organizations to present. And then it just like, I, I guess, became its own animal and just snowballed to the point where I had to make a decision because uh, I was on the road a lot and my district was so supportive. So, you know, I, I guess the moral of the story here is we all have to have something to speak about and what we speak about has to be different. And, you know, whereas people are really good and love the why, we got to move to the how and the what. And I think that's what really helped me uh, not just, uh, I guess, be okay at this, but really has led to sustainability uh, in a you know, profession that's uh, very difficult to sustain. Yeah, I love that story. As you're talking, I'm just nodding my head thinking there's so many similarities. It was like local stuff, county, regional stuff, state stuff, and then things just things just kind of happen. And I really, I do believe that's the best way to go about building something. Just do things, be passionate, want, want to change your school and the people around you, want to change the world of education. And I tell people things are going to happen if you put yourself out there in a positive way. So we're both lucky. We travel and work with tons of school districts and educational organizations. And I'm curious, what do you see is the biggest trend right now. And I'm asking both positive and negative trend because I see a lot of positive trends, but I also see negative trends. But I want to know what lens, like what have you seen out there, Eric? Yeah, it's interesting because many of the trends got sort of uh, just, they slowed to a crawl because of the pandemic. And we were seeing so, so much emphasis on uh, VR, virtual reality, augmented reality, maker spaces, flexible seating, uh, you know, and then that kind of came to a halt because of social distancing, rightfully so. And then we really saw this sort of knee-jerk reaction to moving to a remote and hybrid learning. And, you know, but now... I don't know if it's really a trend. What we're seeing though, as schools have reopened is to kind of just revert back like the pandemic never happened and go back to some sense of normalcy, which is that's the way we've always done it. So I don't know if it's a trend. It's more of a cautionary tale that we should not forget the lessons that we learned during the pandemic. And some of those were hard lessons, but others were opportunities to really improve the culture of learning. You know, and one lesson or trend that I would love to see is, you know, we learned that face-to-face -face school does not work for every kid. It does not. And when schools have gone back, I've been a little dismayed that there is no virtual option, you know, mm -hmm. going forward. But I'm fortunate to be working with a lot of school districts, uh, one of which is Bullitt County, Kentucky, where we are working together to build their standalone virtual school for students in their district. 
And that's a trend that I would love to see for every single school district. There are ESSER funds now, the connectivity devices are there. And just having that option for kids, because you know when we think about learners, they all learn differently. And you know, one trend that I saw before the pandemic was I'd walk into classroom after classroom, all kids doing the same thing the same way at the same time. And what we need to really focus on is all kids getting what they need when and where they need it. So that's what I hope is a trend. What it'll look like, I don't know, because you know, now as we're kind of still in the midst of the pandemic, I think we're going to be slow to really embrace any large scale changes going forward. But, you know, not just with virtual learning, I think the sky's the limit, you know, looking at hologram technology, you know, I was creeped out during Dick Clark's New Year's Eve, when they were bringing in these holograms. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, that's kind of creepy. But <laughs> I think there's going to be more and more ways to bring experiences to our students to really, who knows, Adam, maybe you and I will be holograms, you know, zoom, you know, being beamed into a big stage somewhere, even though we'll be at home. So mm -hmm. I, I think that the trend has to be, you know, let's celebrate where we did well. Let's not take the uh, foot off the gas and, and let's make sure that we have equitable options for our kids going forward. Yeah, I agree. I'm with you too. Uh, a lot of a lot of districts that I've talked to is like, we're not doing virtual, we're not doing this distance learning. And I know like my son, he didn't want to go back to school. And part of that was because he wanted to stay home and he wanted to be able to armpit fart and get snacks when he wanted. I mean, some of that is non-educational based, but a lot of kids thrived. I mean, I talked to principals all over. I was talking to a principal, Tom Stoner in Indiana, high school principal. He had, we have students, he said, that were failing before that are now just crushing it because we just changed the environment. And maybe it's not even five days at home virtual, maybe it's two or three at home, and then some kind of flexible option, like a lot of companies. I mean, I live in the San Francisco Bay Area, and a lot of my neighbors, none of my neighbors have gone back to the office. And they say when they do, it's going to be a flex, like one day, two day, or one, one day every two weeks, if they need to have a meeting or what have you, or to have some FaceTime. And I know it's harder with childcare. I mean, all of that is not perfect, but there has to be there has to be some other options. So you have a brand new book out. I know it was, it was kind of your COVID, um, COVID baby, if you will. A lot of people did a lot of projects. Uh, disruptive thinking in our classrooms. I have a copy. Um, I'm making my way through it. But what can you tell the audience um, about your new book, Eric? Yeah, you know, and I think that the indicators were there before COVID of how the world was radically changing. And so many lessons were learned, you know, in our time, because we're a little older, you know, we, we used to rent VHSs from Blockbuster. We made mixtapes for our girlfriends and uh, we wrote paper notes. We had CDs and now all that is pretty much in the past. And, you know, I kind of like the Blockbuster story because they were unwilling to change. They thought they had it all figured out. Does any of this sound familiar? Sound of sometimes in school systems, like, yeah, we got great test scores. We got it all figured out. Then Netflix came along with not just new and better ideas, but they had a business model that was far superior and it was sustainable and they continued to innovate. And that kind of is a classic case of disruption. And then with the pandemic, we saw the whole education system disrupted and we didn't even really know what to do. Did we make it work? Yes. I mean, I can't say enough 
positive things about the educators that were resilient, that stepped up, that continue to show up, care for kids. But, you know, with all this disruption, you know, it's, it's here, it's not going away. And the premise behind the book is, you know, how do we create experiences that allow students to replace conventional ideas with authentic, with innovative solutions to authentic problems? That's real world. And as I was writing the book, you know, it was during the onset of the pandemic and I'm sitting here, I'm writing and I'm like, wow, there's so many concepts that I've seen in schools before the pandemic, such as personalized learning. Do you need tech to personalize? No, but it's a shift from the what to the who to emphasize ownership. It's getting all kids what they need, when and where they need it. And as I was just working on this book, you know, one of the things I looked at or tried to predict was, hey, you know, the Jetsons in the late 60s, you know, foreshadowed all this disruptive change. And you know what? So many things that were in that show have actually come to fruition. It's crazy. Robots, video conferencing. So if we want to prepare kids, not just for their future, but for now, we need to really look at our practice and ask ourselves, are we preparing them to do well in school, take tests, or are we giving them the tools to become competent learners? Yeah, no, I love that blockbuster example. And I always say that they went out of business. Toys R Us went out of business. I mean, how many companies have done this? And our schools cannot, quote unquote, go out of business, but they can, if we don't remain relevant, become irrelevant for our students. And I think so many people are stuck on that, like you were saying before, oh, I want to go back to normal. Like, you know, company, a school is a business. I mean, we can say it's not, but it is in terms of our profit is our kids and our kids being successful and having self-confidence and so many other factors. But really for me, it's getting them ready for this world that they're living in, which is so different than the world that we grew up in. And we are about the same age. I think you're a couple of years older than I, than I am, Eric, but, but, but again, like we have kids and what are we doing? Where, where are they going? I tell my wife, you know, if our kids go to college and she says, what do you mean if they go to college, I want my kids to go to college. But what if they don't? And it's okay. And there's so many options out there uh, for our kids. So we have to disrupt the thinking. We have to disrupt our classrooms. We have to disrupt leadership. I really feel that it's a, it's a profession at risk, if you will, with getting new people involved in teaching. You know, I love when I see a student teacher. And I feel like when I was a young teacher, there were so many student teachers. And as I travel and talk and visit, there's fewer and fewer student teachers. And we need people that want to be become leaders because gosh, we need those, we need those leaders out there. If you were a principal again tomorrow, what would be your top five must-haves at your school? And I'm not going to give you any categories like, hey, Eric, here, you're going to be principal at SciFair High School, whatever it is. And you're going to go in and like we've both done the job and it's been a while since we have and we've seen a lot. Like, what would be your top five? Like we must have these as principal? Well, I, I think if we're looking, I mean, that is a very, very tough thing to answer. And as you put me on a spot and you have me look at five, you know, I, I'm going to try to do five, but, you know, I, I think I'm going to try to look at, you know, ways in which we really build culture. So when we talk about top five, I, I think as a leader, you got to be transparent. You know, you, you really have to help people understand why we need to change, how we're going to do it, 
and what will tell us if we're successful. When we make big decisions, you gotta be able to justify it with research and evidence. So that's number one. Number two, I think as a leader, you got to provide your staff with autonomy because if they don't have autonomy, they're not gonna take risks. They need that freedom to fail forward because if you don't have that, you don't build trust and people are not going to innovate. You know, I think you also have to understand that there is no perfection education and we have to chase growth, not perfection. And how do you do that? You have to, as a leader, be able and be willing to consistently provide timely, practical, specific feedback. You know, one thing I hear a lot is, hey, the leaders aren't in my room, or I don't even know how I'm doing, or I'm told I'm doing great all the time. So right now we got three, transparency, autonomy, feedback. I'd also say that, you know, in order to build capacity, and I'll use build capacity as number four, you got to delegate and you got to lead through consensus. You know, yes, you, there's a time to make unilateral decisions, but you got to bring different voices to the table, especially those voices that will not agree with yours. You also have to empower others to lead the change. And finally, I guess my fifth one would be you got to lead with empathy. You know, and I think that's something I would love to see higher ed courses on empathetic leadership because we, that, this is stuff, Adam, we got to learn on the job. But I think that if I was opening a school, that's what I would be. I'd be transparent. I, I would make sure I would give my staff autonomy. I provide continuous feedback. I build capacity. And I would try to model empathy because our kids need that, but also our staff needs that as well. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And I know it's a tough question, just five, but I often think I was an interim principal last year during, during COVID, everything was shut down. And I was a principal for seven months, taking over, helping out for a maternity leave replacement. And it wasn't the same as if, you know, it's your own school, but it was really fun going back and gosh, I did things differently, obviously, because you grow and you know more and you, you say some things less or you say some things more. Um, it's actually, it was, it was really, really, it was fun to help out the school, but it was also really fun just to kind of practice that leadership as the actual leader and not just as, as like a speaker or a consultant. So here's another question that people ask me all the time. So I'm going to ask you, who are you learning from right now? Authors, books, educators on Twitter, you know, business people. I mean, people ask me that all the time and I was, I don't struggle with answering it, but um, I'm just, I want to know from you, Eric, who do you um, learn from? So in response to the different categories you rattled off, I'm going to, this might not be popular. I'm going to say none of the above. And, you know, for me, it is, I immerse myself in classrooms and schools. Yesterday I was in a school that I'll be working with throughout the year in Pennsylvania. And I'll tell you right now, you know, when we hear things, it's so inspiring for me to see how teachers and leaders actually take what they hear, implement it with fidelity and create change. And that's not discounting. I mean, I got so many great friends, so many people I look up to, which is why I'm very hesitant to list any names. But in terms of real change, um, you know, I look at you know, school systems such as Corinth, Mississippi, 
uh, Wells Elementary here in Sci Fair, Davis Schools, Utah, Juab School District, Utah, Arlington Central, New York, Mount Olive, New Jersey, Hanover, Pennsylvania. Uh, and I can list so many more, but what they all have in common is teachers and administrators who want to get better. And, you know, I'm kind of just that facilitator, but when they find success, for me, coming back full circle to the whole speaking piece, I take so much pride in sharing examples of the work of those teachers who have differentiated successfully, those that have implemented RTI uh, with, you know, uh, with fidelity. And that's who I'm learning from. And that's not to take anything away from anyone else, but these people, they're in there, they are doing it and showing the rest of us that, hey, you know, either this idea um, has traction or it does not. So those are the different groups that right now I am learning from. It was different during COVID because a lot of it was more, you know, uh, going on social media, reading blog posts, but that is my response to who I'm learning from. Yeah, no, I love your example about the teacher in the school. I remember, I think my second year as a principal, I was talking to a couple of teachers and they were looking on a website called Teachers Pay Teachers, um, which I'm not going to give my opinion on. And they were just looking. I'm like, what are you looking for? Like this and that. And I was kind of just over their shoulder, having a collaborative conversation as their principal. And I looked at one of them and I said, hey, come with me. And I brought those two teachers down the hall to the teacher that had the thing posted on Teachers Pay Teachers. And I said, we need to, and this fell on me as the leader, we need to get better at collaborating in our building and in our school and in our county and our state, um, because there are so there's great things happening out there. We could both name drop a thousand people to go learn from, and they're amazing educators or, or business or military leaders or whatever they are. But so often the person next door or down the hall, or oftentimes in a different grade level, take 25% of what they're doing and adapt it to your grade level. Um, going out there to look is great, but God, look within too, and then build, like you go back to that last answer, build capacity. Because what that then does is it builds capacity, take somebody else's idea, and then make it adapt to you and your students. The first educational leadership book that I read when I was a brand new green 29-year-old assistant principal was Todd Whitaker, What Great Leaders Do Differently. And I remember reading that book and I just remember kept saying, yes, yes, yes. And I've read many, many leadership books since then. What is your favorite or your recommendation if you're talking to a new leader or a veteran leader and it doesn't need to be in the education space that you always say, hey, read this book. It's going to change how you think. All right. I think I got five. So okay, we'll, good. We'll take five. <laughs> and, and, and these are the ones that I read as a principal that completely changed my thinking and trajectory. Drive by Dan Pink, Science of Motivation. Lynchpin by Seth Godin, How to Create Your Own Art So You Become Indispensable. Honestly, I know teachers, administrators that are doing that. Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell you know, how much effort you put in work and how that leads to success. Uh, the no complaining rule by John Gordon. Here's the no complaining rule in, it, in its simple form. Number one, don't complain. Number two, if you complain, have two solutions for your complaint. And finally, The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. You know, really just uh, inspiring 
to really look at our inner greatness. So those books, and I've read them all, and I, I saw you recently posted everything that you read this summer. You're much better than me. I spend too much time writing, not enough time reading. But every single one of those books had a leadership and learning lesson, and they weren't in the field of education. Um, and that's something that I never really did. I, I never really read books that were going to be, I don't know if you want to call them self-help, but they were amazing and just totally changed the way I led. Yeah, I've read three of those. I haven't read Lynchpin or The Alchemist, so I'll have to go check those out. My goal this summer was to read one book a week, eight weeks. I read 14 books. I'm going to just give the audience my favorite um, leadership book I read. It was uh, by Stanley McChrystal called Team of Teams. And I've read a lot of military leadership books, Jocko Willink, uh, a lot of those books. And Stanley McChrystal just broke it down from what they did in the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan and how they changed their thinking to adapt. And it had that, that military lens, but the word adapt, adapt, change, adapt, change, adapt. And it just had me nodding my head and highlighting and, and dog-earing pages for our schools and go back to the last 18 months of COVID and moving forward. We're going to adapt or we're going to become irrelevant for our kids and we're going to go out of business. So Eric, my friend, part of this podcast is amplifying the voices of my guests. I'm going to throw the microphone over to you. What would you like to say to all the people that listen to this podcast? Well, I just want to say, you know what, we are all into your depth. Those of you that are in classrooms, in schools, we can't thank you enough. You know, you have been an inspiration, you know, and you have shown the world that education is the noblest profession. Thanks for caring for kids, for each other. Thanks for showing up. And thanks for spending more time with other people's children than your own in some cases. As you think about guiding principles going forward, and, and these are some things that I really emphasize in disruptive thinking in our classrooms, don't prepare learners for something. We don't know what that is. Prepare them for anything. Also understand that every single kid that comes in your classroom, in your school, has greatness hidden inside him or her. The job of an educator is, help that, is to help them find and unleash that greatness and understand that the kind of like the glue that holds together is relationships. You know, without trust, there's no relationship. Without relationships, no real learning occurs. And, uh, you know, when I kind of pen the book, one thing is, you know, things change. So if you do check out Disruptive Thinking in our classrooms, which is readily available on Amazon, also know that uh, I regularly blog about the different concepts in the book that is totally new content. Because I think as learners, we always have to reflect ourselves, but also understand, you know, how do we not only push our own thinking, but really give our audience as, you know, writers more information, concepts, ideas that they can readily implement in their classroom. So for all that we're listening, uh, thanks for uh, being here today. And uh, Adam, thanks for, uh, for having me. Uh, wish people could see us as they could bask in our, our bald head glory. Uh, but, uh, you know. And you have a twin brother that's bald too, right? Yeah, yeah. It's funny <laughs> that uh, most of the time when I'm in the airport, people mistake me for him because he's in oil and gas industry and I live in Houston. Oh. But a few times people will go up to him and be like, hey, are you Eric Schettinger? And then he's texting me. He's like, uh, Eric, you got some educators here again that think uh, <sighs> I'm you. So, yeah. That's funny. Well, hey, I just want to say thank you for the time. Eric, you are someone that I... 
I uh, look up to and learn from from afar. And then over the last 11 years, um, you know, I've had the opportunity to get to know you better, hang out in person. Uh, I call you a friend and uh, I continually learn from you. EricSheniger.com on Twitter, Eric underscore Sheniger, and also on Instagram, just Eric Sheniger. My friend, thank you for all that you do. I know your travel schedule like mine. I got home after midnight, midnight last night is, uh, is busy. So thank you for taking the time. Everybody listening, thanks for all that you do. And I hope that you have an absolutely amazing day.